Hello and welcome to the next episode of Sim Talk, a member of the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network. Today we have with us Stefan Bingston. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's good enough. All right, cool. So, uh, Stefan, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, You know where you are, where you come from, uh, what you're doing now. Okay, I'll give it a go. Uh, I'm from Sweden, living in the Stockholm area, the capital of Sweden. Uh, I'm 55 years old, so I've been around for, for a while. Uh, and from an academic point of view, um, I am... Um, uh, Master of Science, uh, tilting towards applied mathematics, uh, operations, research, system theory. But I'm also formed by a more management-tilted uh, education. Uh, an English um, MBA education giving me a postgraduate diploma in business administration. So I have this combination of management and logic, I guess you could say. Yes, uh, I, I'm kind of similar there. I've got a undergrad in finance and an MBA as well, but I also but I'm in simulation and been doing that my entire career pretty much. Good, and and uh, as a matter of fact, uh, fresh out of uh, of um, the Royal Institute of Technology where I studied in in Stockholm uh, for for the Master of Science, I happened to start working for a consultancy company with simulation. So that that was my first step into the working life to to start working with simulation um, and a, a great introduction uh, i would say and and i i worked in those days with with the swedish industry uh, as the customer base independent of which industry and we as as consultants we also had uh, the transportation sectors but uh, i had colleagues that focused more on the transportation sectors whereas i focused on the whole industry sector um, and after that i've done a lot of different things i've been have had various management positions i've been into production i've been into planning i've been into recruitment uh, but 2005 roughly i jumped back to simulation but but now with a much more senior look upon it and and a lot of management uh, experiences and knowledge uh, uh, to, to put into simulation. So that really, the, the combination of having a simulation background and having a management background has, at least after 2005, formed me. Uh, That's very cool. Without, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> no, and, and, and without going into any, in any further details, in, in 2008, uh, I started to focus on the healthcare system. So mm. for about uh, roughly six, seven years, uh, I was responsible for building uh, small competence centers and addressing issues in Swedish healthcare when it comes to using modeling, dynamic modeling, simulation, system thinking to address all the challenges in, in healthcare, both on a macro level and a micro level and, and the middle between. So for coming from a more management side of things, how do you see simulation working in a corporate environment or what are the things as a sort of a higher level person you look for in simulation? Well, uh, I think since I have a background in both working as a consultant in a technical consultancy environment. And I also have a background as for a year work as a senior advisor in a management consultancy environment. I, I see the different ways to, the, the different cultures and the different ways to address issues for in, in these two cultures for, for good and for bad, so to say. What, what you do in the technical consultancy culture is that you usually listen very carefully for what the customer wants uh, and you try to address this in, in an appropriate way. What you do in the management-tilted uh, culture, you more listen for what the customer really needs, independent of what he or she expresses that she wants. So, so you have a tendency in the management culture to go beyond uh, what really the customer by necessity understands him or herself. Uh, and I think that, at least for me, also has a parallel how to look at simulation because, according to my experience, the customer will never ever understand what you can do fully with simulation. And that means that you as a consultant 
always has to lead the customer and tell the customer what to do given competence in simulation. That is something I run into a lot is what they what the customer thinks they want and what they actually need is a very fine line and getting them from we want this to understanding what they actually need is kind of an art form. Yeah, I agree. And 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 I see see the whole the whole thing about modeling and simulation. I, I see I, it's not a method. It it is for me an art. The art of drawing a dynam- dynamic picture of, of a real life problem in in some form with with all that implies. So uh, what yeah. are what are some stuff you tend to run into like problems you run into consulting with different clients? Is it just do you, do you tend to get a lot of the same questions over and over again, or is there, uh, or do they tend to be a lot different? Uh, well, of course, different depending on the background of the customer, the business, the industry of the customer. But but some very often pop up every now and then, and I think a typical question that probably a lot of people working with modeling and simulation meet is the question that we don't have enough data we are not ready to simulate. Uh, and my comment to that, uh, sometimes I, I tell it directly to the, to the customer, sometimes I at least think it, uh, is that good. Uh, really, the less data you have, the more added value uh, simulation can give you. Uh, so, so I really see a, a, a relation, I see a tendency also in the modeling community where there is a little bit too much focus on data, too much focus on verification, too much focus on validation, because I like to think like this, that we have a real life problem at hand and we can either apply simulation uh, to this problem or we cannot apply simulation. If you have a lot of data, good. Uh, that will help you address the problem with simulation, but it would also help you address the problem fairly well without simulation. The thing is, when you don't have so much data and you still have to take a decision in real life, simulation by building an understanding of the system as such, independent of if you have the good data or not, will help you immensely compared to having to go forward without data, without simulation, and still take decisions. So how, how do you get the customer to trust the model if you can't validate it? Well, in a way, I, uh, that, that's, that's another related question you, you always get. Uh, since you can't validate you, that since you can't say this is uh, 100% correct or at least close to 100% correct, correct how can we trust it and that that is that is a question you often hear uh, and you compare really this ideal situation of having the possibility to validate 100% with uh, the simulation project but the thing is the relevant comparison is to compare the simulation project and the value we can add with simulation with the alternative and the alternative will, would never be to have 100% security uh, in the decisions that are to be taken. The alternative would have to have even less certainty in moving for, forward without help of, of simulation. So I usually try to turn the question around and, and in an appropriate way convince uh, the stakeholder or the customer that is the wrong question to ask. In, in a way, we can compare if, if you have an Excel sheet uh, and you use that Excel sheet to formulate the budget. And half year later, it turns out that the budget was not okay. Did that, uh, did, did that give us a reason to question Excel as such? No, it didn't. It, it probably was the input into the budget, the figures that we put into the budget that were wrong, not the Excel model as such. And the same goes with simulation. If you have done a good work when it comes to capturing the logic of the problem, it's usually if there is a a mismatch with reality and model results, it usually depends upon the figures that you put into the model, not the logic of the model as such. So so I usually reason in in those terms uh, when these questions arise. 
So your your tact is to go more of the we can without even without data we can model the process correctly, and if we get the yeah. process correct, we can get close enough with everything at, with, with made up data or you know sort of anecdotal data to to get a better view of what's going on instead of just a data driven model. Exactly. The, the process or the system as such. And, and in some cases, of course, we, we model the system by using process thinkings. In other cases, we use other paradigms or, or way to, to model this system that we are interested in. So, so yes, I, that, that's my point, that, that as long as we have captured the, the logic, the interactions, the infrastructures, the flows, or whatever inside our model, as long as we have done that in a fairly good enough way, we will add value because we start better understanding the consequences of uh, different scenarios uh, independent of if these are well established or if we are just guessing. Right. Do you ever get into like really theoretical designs when you're modeling or is it do you tend to do established uh, systems? Uh, what can you exemplify what you mean with, with well, more theory? What, what I do a lot of what I've been doing recently is people will come to me at my job and be like, Look, we're looking at this new technology and we want to see how it works in our facility. Model the facility with the new technology and tell us what will happen. Okay, and and in that case, the technology could be uh, the different type and, and new production technology or new production, material handling, uh, automation. Uh, a lot of stuff I'm seeing right now is uh, you know autonomous robots, that kind of stuff moving. Right, stuff. right. Uh, Self-guiding AGVs, whatever. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, no, uh, I tend to to. I don't really see a need. I don't see it in my end, and I don't get demands in the other end really to go into that too deeply. Uh, if I would have a customer in front of me or, or someone interested in the potential wood simulation in front of me that started demanding or wishing for this, I would probably have an explanatory discussion on, uh, related to whether this really would add value to the conclusions we want, want to make with the model. And, and in most cases, I would say, no, we don't have to dig into this technology in too much detail as long as we, we capture the overall logic of, of the technology. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's about what I tend to do as well. Uh, I was just curious to see how you would you would tackle that that yeah. from your uh, background. Uh, so, what are you working in? What have you worked in in terms of like you know? Are you Simio, AnyLogic, FlexSim? Do you care? Uh, what 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 other programs, paradigms have you worked in? Yeah, and and um, that's kind of interesting because when I started my career, fresh out of of. Uh, uh, of college. Uh, when I learned, uh, when I studied for the Master of Science to program, uh, we were taught to program in a programming language called Simula. Uh, and Simula is, uh, I think, Norwegians invented this language in 1967, and a few Swedes were involved also. And it's by many considered to be the first object-oriented language, the mother of all object-oriented languages. Uh, so it really inspired small talk later on, which uh, inspired, inspired Java. Mm -hmm. uh, and as, uh, you hear, as you hear, Simula was built, was constructed to be able to handle the challenges in simulation. If I remember right, my dad wrote his PhD uh, dissertation in small talk. Ah, okay. Yeah, and that and that come uh, comes a bit after, or, or as a consequence, at least partly a consequence of Simula, mm -hmm. uh, as at least to my knowledge. Uh, and um, there was a Canadian professor, uh, Dr. Graham or Professor Graham Berthwistle, who also was interested in, I think, into Simula, and he constructed a specific class uh, or object in Simula that he called DEMOS, Discrete Event Modeling on Simula. Uh, 
So when I started to work as a consultant, this consultant DCI I started to work uh, with, uh, they used Demos, they used Simula to do the modeling that we use to address, uh, address the challenge in, in Swedish industry. Uh, and what, what I learned for starters, I came, dit, I came to, to this company and I had not really studied any simulation. I had studied operations research. Uh, and there, tilt to operations research was when you come out in the real world, you can't really use these mathematical models because you have challenge, challenges that are much more multidimensional, much more insecurities. You have a system that you have to address and therefore you need simulation. Uh, so when we worked with operations research, we 99% of the time we, we applied simulation to, to address these problems. And it was kind of interesting because when you work with Simula demos, everything is possible. Uh, when you are down to the programming level of addressing pr uh, problems in simulation, you have the full flexibility. Uh, you can address really, you can tilt the model, you can tilt the logic, whichever the way you want it. Uh, and uh, I usually claim that, that uh, your first entrance to simulation as an individual usually forms the way you, you look upon simulation. So since I entered the world of simulation through a very, very flex flexible platform, uh, I tend to demand very high levels of flexibility uh, for the platforms that I consider when, when I uh, work with simulation. Uh, so that implied when I many years later, 2005, jumped back to, to simulation. I tried to re review the world market to see what, uh, what platforms, what software are available. And I found a program I hadn't heard of before. It was called Analogic, as, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So, so really, given my demand picture at that point of time, I wanted to address problems in, in industry, in infrastructure, in transportation. I wanted to have an object-oriented platform, and I wanted the possibility to add qualified programming to my model if needed. Uh, that ended up to using analogic at, at that yeah, point. That, that is the, the being able to inject Java code directly into analogic is a very strong point of the, the simulation yeah. package. That is one thing I do miss about working in it because uh, I, I used to work in analogic at the American Red Cross, but now I work mainly in Simio. Uh, and that is something I do miss is just being able to write a for loop or do while or whatever instead of having to do the process blocks. Yes, and, and for, for me, rightly or wrongly, that, that was a, dem a firm demand when I wanted, because even if you can capture a real-life issue to 90% with blocks and, and predefined logic uh, objects, you can never really fully address uh, most problems without adding at least some level of qualified programming to the model. Uh, to tailor make it, so so to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see where you're coming from with that. I mean, I would say most of the, especially higher level simulation packages, you know, Simio, FlexSim, AnyLogic, you can get that 99% fidelity. To just you just have to know how to work work the system. It's easier sure. in AnyLogic, and I know FlexSim, you can use C++. I think is what it is directly okay. into objects. And I mean, you can do it in Simio. It's just a bit tougher. Okay. What what language do you use in Simio? Uh, it's built based in C sharp. Okay. Mm. Yeah, you can. Uh, they have process blocks, you know, because it is the sort of spiritual successor of Arena. It's developed by the same people who developed Arena from back in the day, and so you have different blocks, but you can inject lines of C sharp. It's just you. It's harder to do, you know. In, in any logic, you can you can inject hundreds or thousands of lines. You right. know, it's it's you can't do unless you were to build your own step because they allow custom steps in Simio. You can't do just like that direct injection of code as okay. big. You can still do it. It's just not as you know, you can't dump it in there like you can in any logic. No, I see. Uh, and a uh, history. Historical anecdote was, uh, I think, I started to work uh, uh, out of um, 
out of college uh, 1988. Uh, and roughly 1990-1991, I think uh, the small group I belong to we, that worked with simulation, uh, we had a meeting with a British fellow, I think uh, with connections to Cambridge. Uh, and he talked a little bit about the, what they tried to do in this group he belonged to. And uh, he discussed capturing logic with the help of blocks, uh, which made us who were used to having Simuline demos and used to having the total flexibility. We didn't laugh at him, but at least we <laughs> very heavily questioned the possibility to capture the the flexibility that you can do by by being down in an object-oriented programming environment with, uh, specifically designed to, to handle simulation. Mm -hmm. uh, and I partly still agree with that assessment. Of course, the development has, has gone a bit further, but, but you lose. Uh, and, and I think for me, at least, that that's one of the differences with Analogic. I think they started really from from just programming. They started by building models with more or less just Java. And they then after that, they have built more and more sophisticated um, objects to help the modeler, but without losing the possibility to use Java. Uh, right. When, especially when I'm doing my Simio modeling, I tend to use very vanilla objects and build them out myself instead of using the pre-built stuff. Right. You know, there's nothing wrong with using the pre-built stuff, but I just find all the extra logic gets in my way. Yeah. Or <laughs> I'm just uh, like, yeah, screw this. I don't need this. I just start deleting everything and then just build it out myself. It's, it's a little bit like Windows Word. You just used 5% of, of all the possibilities uh, in, in Word usually. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that's the way you handle this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what kind of models do you generally build? Is it more discrete? The you know, agent mixed. I would say, I mean, uh, majority tends to tilt towards the discrete event end, uh, but uh, definitely also with mixed with agent-based thinking, and and in some cases also with time continuous thinking, uh, which you find in system dynamics and and uh, dynamic system modeling. Um, so so in a way, I'm I. I'm an advocate of stop thinking in all these boxes. Stop thinking in terms of, of discrete event modeling. Stop thinking in terms of, of system dynamics modeling or agent-based modeling. Thinks in, stop thinking in terms of, of uh, dynamic modeling and, and ensure yourself that you have a big enough toolbox to handle the challenges that you, you see yourself uh, to, to have to confront in the future. Uh, so. so for me, it's really paradigm-free modeling or multi-metamodel mod modeling that that's really is the, the essence of dynamic modeling. Right, and I think that's one of the, especially for people who don't come necessarily from simulation backgrounds, one of the stronger points is we don't get locked into it as much. Yes. Because I was never taught, this is the way you do a model. I was just said, they were just given software and said, hey, go build a model. And I went, okay. <laughs> Yep. You know, so I think that's a, a good way to look at it. And I think more people are starting to get into that just multi-method by default uh, as we kind of go forward in simulation. Yeah. Uh, and, and unfortunately, I, I, you, you see some pretty strict communities uh, that, that tend to think that their paradigm is the best one. Simulation is this paradigm, more or less. You, you find it with the people that, that have a system dynamic background. You most certainly also find it with the people that have a discrete event background. Uh, and in a, in a way, it's a shame because really we need all these different paradigms combined and, and you, you need to be able to pick the ones needed uh, given the problem at hand. So. So it's a shame you, we have these strict or, or pretty firm communities, I think. Yeah, I would agree. So what do you think of where simulation is in 2018? Um, you know, sort of current state of the industry, thoughts, you know, problems, uh, you, you know, good I, things you see. For, for starters, I don't have the full picture, but, but a reflection I made in 2005 when I returned to simulation 
after not having worked with simulation for roughly 10 years or something like that, uh, even more, uh, was that I was surprised that the development had, hadn't come further than it had in 2005. Uh, so given the uh, given what we played around with in 1988 to 1993, when, when I worked with Simuline demos and, and simulation, and the state of affairs in uh, 2005, I was not impressed. Do you uh, think that was more due to the software or the hardware? Because, I, because you know, from my experience, about 2010 is when most of the major software started taking major leaps. And that's also when like a lot of new, faster, cheaper hardware was also available to the majority of the public. Could, could be a point, but, but I, I guess looked at it more from the logical end more than the hardware end. The, the possibility to, to be able to tailor make, to, to, to build your model. Uh, as I said before, I see this as an art form. And I didn't really see that uh, so many good new pencils or so many new good colors had been added to, to, uh, to the toolbox uh, if I compare to what we had in 1988. Because mm -hmm. I, I know some of the Simeo people have said that they always wanted to make Simeo, like that was the dream even back when they were making Arena, but they, the, the programming languages and the hardware wasn't available until much later down the pipe. I but see. I think the uh, first, I, I mean, alpha or beta for Simeo was out in like 2007, 2008. So right. I think, because I know C Sharp was a big jump and a lot of, even Java's made a lot of jumps in terms of complexity and what you right. can do with the language itself. Right. Uh, no, well, yeah. Uh, uh, as I said, I, I, I agree. There most likely has been uh, clear developments from uh, 2010 and forward when it comes to the possibilities with the hardware. But, but my assessment uh, was more based on, based on, on uh, the possibility to, 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 to build the logic of, of the model. Mm. Uh, okay. And yeah, I can add another thing which, which is um, kind of interesting. Uh, in, two, in 1988, when, when I got familiar with the concept of a discrete event modeling, for me, that more or less included what we today call agent-based modeling. Because when you build, built a model in uh, Simula, you could by yourself decide if the agents or entities or whatever you wanted to call them, if they were passive, if they were active, if they were masters, if they were slaves. That was up to you to control while building your model, so to say. And you could have the same entity, the same object, the same agent switch during, during the simulation based on the state of affairs uh, in the simulation. And nowadays, we have more separated these different paradigms in, in different boxes. So we would talk about discrete event modeling as something different from agent-based modeling. For me, it was really the same thing, thing from, from starters. Uh, so, so I guess that's also a reason why, why I'm attracted by multi-method thinking, because for me, it's just one method more or less from the start. Right, and that makes sense. Do you tend to, or, well, what it, when you're building a model, where do you tend to start? Do you tend to go top down, down up, somewhere in the middle? Uh, for starters, I tend to go rough. Uh, I tend to take very small steps. Uh, I would say it depends. It's, it differs a little bit um, uh, from, from case to case, from, from um, issue to issue. Sometimes you start by capturing the whole system you, you plan to model, but you do it in a very rough way. Uh, you try to establish that logic to at least roughly work, and then you take the next step in digging down to some of the details. That, that would be one way to, to address it. Another way would be to look at the model as, as having different modules. And perhaps you start with a middle module and, or the first module or the last module uh, and get that to work in quite a good detail before you add what comes before or what comes after. 
So I, uh, I would say depends very much on, on the situation and I tend to, to adapt or, or apply uh, more or less uh, any way of thinking in, in, uh, well, in, in these uh, situations. Now, now, I usually for many years, I'm not the one modeling, I'm, I'm leading others, I'm, I'm helping others to model, I'm telling others to, what to do and how to think when, when modeling. But, but of course, I, I still model some every now and then. Do you uh, manage or deal with a lot of clients not in Europe? Have you done a lot of global consulting or has it mainly been European, Swedish consulting? Yeah, it's been mainly Swedish, uh, after that mainly European. Unfortunately, not, not uh, outside the European borders. It certainly would, would be a pleasure to, to have the opportunity to do that sometime in the future. But, but uh, no, mostly Sweden and uh, in the vicinity of Sweden. I've always been kind of curious about how projects would go in other cultures, just because the way we tend to communicate even in business across cultures tends to be a lot different. So I was, I've always been curious whether if like an American you know, simulation project would be how much different it would be than like a European simulation project, just yeah. because of the cultures. And I think one clear difference between partly European, especially Swedish culture and American culture is that as a country, as a culture, uh, you, the U.S. is much more of a generalist country, a, a management country, I would say, whereas Sweden is more of an engineering country, a specialist country. Uh, and that implies that uh, in the U.S. you can see competence like simulation, operations, research, stuff like that. In the, at MIT, for example, uh, at least a couple of years ago, I saw that simulation, optimization, operations, research was packaged under the labeling management. In Sweden, you would never find education, if you find it at all in Sweden, packaged under the label management. You would uh, find it packaged under the label engineering. Uh, so for me... Uh, Really, the positioning and the thinking related to competence and simulation is in Sweden more wrong than it is in the U.S. You, I think you more see it as a, also a management competence than people generally do in Sweden. Academically speaking, it's all over the place in the U.S. A lot in most schools, I would say it's probably under industrial engineering. Right, but there is, but some some universities have their own operations research schools. Um, I think here at Pitt, it's actually in the business school. I know you can get a business PhD in simulation modeling, or at least with a concentration in simulation modeling, which I may or may not do at some point if I ever get the gumption to actually go get a PhD. But you know, so it's all over the place here, and it's like it's really underserved i would say it's it's a very unknown quantity here in the us yeah. right now and even even more unknown in sweden <laughs> i uh, i think uh, which is both a challenge and an opportunity i guess you could say i think that's about to change though because some of the really major us players are starting to get involved uh, i saw apple is hiring for flexa modelers Tesla, um, you know, a lot of Fortune 500 companies are now starting to get involved with it, especially with the rapid increase of technology and how much it's changing, how quickly it's changing. Yeah. And, and as a matter of fact, I heard in, in your discussion with Benjamin Schumann, uh, you touched upon that subject, that, that mm -hmm. there is uh, an increasing interest. Uh, I don't set, see that clearly in, in Sweden in, in the same way. Uh, Partly, I think, because of, of the re cultural reasons I, I mentioned. Is big data a thing in Sweden? Is that like a big thing you're going after right now? It certainly is discussed. Uh, it's it's uh, very much discussed in, in the healthcare community, which I, I've been on, of, in the inside of for, for quite a few years, years before I left it a while ago. Uh, and that... Uh, that, that, that's kind of interesting because big data uh, and that type of thinking connected to analytics thinking is, is quite hot in, in, in a lot of countries over the world. Uh, 
what it represents though is usually a more static way of looking at the problem where when simulation is of course a more dynamic way of looking at the problem mm -hmm. well what i've at least what i i think i've seen i mean this could just be me reading into things but as big data i mean that was like the buzzwords like three four five years ago here in the u.s and as that is progressed people have been figure, trying to figure out how to use the data and that's where this uptick in simulation is oh now we have all this data and it's usable let's actually use it instead of just having it in these yes. sql databases yes and and again given what we discussed before since my view is not that we should start in the data end but rather in understanding the system end uh, with or without data uh, there is a tendency, if you focus too much on the data, it's a tendency to also focus too much on history rather than future. Because uh, looking at data tends to be something that, that captures what has already happened. Uh, and, and it tends to cement a way of thinking that based on the more deterministic thinking, or at least that history will repeat itself. And that's of course, in many cases true, but simulation helps us to better understand the situation independent of the history repeat, will repeat itself or if uh, completely new scenarios will arise. So, so therefore my logic is you should always start with a system and thinking about how the system works and is formed before you start digging into data. And I see a tendency, especially when it comes to, to big data, uh, like, like the hand calculator once upon a time made the kids grasp mathematics less than they did before the hand calculator. I see a risk that big data and very much focus on the figures rather than the logic will have a negative impact on thinking about problems, rightly or wrongly, but, but I see that risk. I, I, yeah, I can very much understand that. Uh, what do you... Something you've touched on kind of tangentially as we've been talking is sort of the art versus the science of simulation because I, I like to see it maybe just because I like to think of myself as more of an artist, but I like to think of it as an art form. You know, I mean, there's definitely some math, you know, some very, you know, intense thinking and, you know, science in there, but it's also the art. So how do you see those two, how they work together? How does one inform the other, et cetera? Yeah, I for a start, I see it as an art form and, and really an art form to, to in a dynamic model, model uh, a reality, but also visualize that reality given a problem at hand. And, and I mean, the art is not good art if you are not able to tilt the visualization and the model as such to bring the messages that you want to the customer or who, whoever is interested in simulation. And so, so there is a tendency when we discuss visualization in the simulation community to focus on the animation of the course of events. And we have very good software that's very good at uh, 3D animation, sophisticated 3D animation. Uh, for me, that's just one part of the animation or, or visualization. I think the visualization of the logic as such is just as important or in many cases much more important than the animation of, of uh, the course of events. Uh, since I've been running around in the healthcare sector, I've met qualified people, doctors, uh, well-educated. If I should just show an animation of uh, nurses and doctors running around uh, hospital beds, in many cases, they would never accept one single output from that model because they are critical thinkers and they need proof that this animation is created by some kind of intelligent logic. Uh, so I have always in, in models prepared the possibility to switch between showing the logic in action and showing the animation in action and showing the output in action and showing the input in action. So I think the balance between uh, visualizing input, output, course of events, and logic 
is really what for at least for me visualization and and bringing a message to to the customer or end user is is all about and therefore an art form that goes beyond just uh, creating a logic just creating a, a nice looking 3d animation so we, could you explain what exactly you mean by animating the logic okay i i mean to when the model is running being able to show uh, the individual customer or whoever is uh, interested in a logic to show the process dynamically to uh, in in any logic you you have quite a good opportunity to show the the dynamic building blocks uh, you can construct your own logic icons and these icons can by themselves be dynamic mm -hmm. which means that uh, at the same time as you show the process, the logic or the, the interaction logic, you can also show that it ticks on during the simulation, generating the animation that you can mm -hmm. look at in another window. So when you, when you say animate the logic, it's sort of a high level, a, you know, what's going on at the time. It's not like super deep into the actual logic itself, right? No, and, and well, in a way that depends on, on what, what questions do you need to prepare to, to, to address uh, when, when discussing the logic and when showing. If I compare to just using a programming language like I did many years ago, uh, a problem with using a programming la language is that you hide the logic. Uh, by having the possibility to visualize the logic, you can have the opportunity to create so much more confidence in the results. Mm -hmm. uh, so so I, I think in, in many cases, uh, and I also see the, a, a difference here between different software. In, in, in some of the softwares, uh, this possibility is not as evident. The possibility to visualize the logic, to show the logic when you run the simulation model. Uh, and I think it's important. I think it's extremely important. Right, that's kind of what I'm, you know, while you're talking, I'm kind of going through in my head how I would do this. I mean, it would be hard to do in Simio. I don't, it would be very difficult to do, unless you did it on a, just a very high level. Right. You know, well, it all would also depend on the type of model, because if I'm using some really smart agents, I mean, there's, tens of thousands of processes going on all at the same time. So right. it would be very hard to, I, I wouldn't even know where to begin. It's something I may, uh, may email with you back and forth on to figure out how to do this better. Cause it's a, a wonderful idea. I hadn't ever really thought of that. No. And, and um, I, it, it's really this word visualization with, that we use. I, I, I think we use it a little bit too narrow because I think this possibility to, to look at, at, uh, visualizing all the aspects of 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 the challenge that that we are that we have at hand i think it of course it differs from customer to customer from case to case from industry to industry but but uh, at least to my experience this possibility to be able to if needed show the logic has been vital in many situations and i can compare with when, when I was a senior advisor to, to, to an international management consultancy and I uh, had uh, the, the county of Stockholm as a customer where they asked me to look at, at the challenge, challenges of, of a new, very sophisticated hospital that is being built and, and already is, is partly in action in Stockholm. Uh, some claim it's the most expensive hospital in the world. Oh, wow. uh, and I'm afraid uh, that's not a good thing by, by <laughs> definition. Uh, the, a lot of mistake ha has been, been uh. made in, in this project and, and uh, I know too much about it. So we shouldn't dig into these things. <laughs> but, but the interesting thing is when, when I, in 2011, was asked to simulate this hospital before it was being built, the question was more or less, do we think roughly in the right way when we are doing our planning and uh, work for, for this hospital? Uh, can you simulate that? And I said, yes, of course I can. Uh, and I started to dig into to the project, how they had reasoned so far, and I saw some weaknesses in the reasoning, and I constructed a model that addressed those weaknesses. Uh, and 
even before the model was uh, finalized, uh, it, it didn't produce any exact results to, to, to look too much on. But what I did was I visualized the logic of a hospital. I did it in a way that I could lead the discussion and moderate the discussion with the two top decision takers in the county that had conflicting views of this hospital by being able to visualize and animate the logic and during the discussion play around with the logic and say, okay, you think this, let's change this parameter and see the impact roughly on the system given this. So, so for me, this possibility, uh, I have in many, many cases it's skipped uh, having an animation of the course of events. I'm just concentrating on animating the logic uh, and uh, animating the possibility to interactively play around with different parameters and thereby show the end user the consequences on various indicators. When you're uh Doing the date, well, the analysis of the output, do you generally do in-model analysis or do you use a separate program to do, you know, all that kind of stuff? Uh, I would generally do it. I would not use a separate program uh, on a regular basis. Since, and again, since I'm not really used to thinking too much in terms of validation and verification, because the questions I arise, uh, I, I confront, that is very, very seldom even an option. And that'd be uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I have to do so much data analysis, like tens of thousands or hunting actually, the model I'm working on now, my output's like a million cells, I think. Yeah, and, and that is a difference, of course. If you have those types of challenges, you probably would have to spend more energy on that. But uh, the, the type of challenges I, over the years, especially running around in the healthcare sector, uh, has, have been addressing, have more been of the character of extremely many unknowns, uh, not uh, enough valid information, but still a need to, to understand the, the system and, or, or question and, at, at hand in a better way. And that implies that you have to free yourself from thinking in terms of data because you, you just get, uh, get stuck in, in that mud otherwise. Uh, yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, because I, uh, I mean, especially here in the U.S., you've got to prove it. I mean, not having that validation is almost a no no go here. But but that and again that that implies that you really, at least from my point of view, look at uh, just a little little percentage of the challenges that you really could address with simulation if you if you drop the need to to think in terms of having to validate, having to verify, because. In my mind, uh, really, if, if that is a, the, the real complex situation, the real interesting situation to apply the potential of simulation is all the situation where this is not an option because you are looking at an unknown future. You are possibly looking at something that does not exist today and you need help in understanding uh, what will happen given that and that and that and that. Um, right. Mm -hmm. Well, even with the theoretical things, there needs to be, at least in my experience here in the U.S., you've got to be able to show all the data, even if you can't validate it, you still have to be able to like present all this data to show people, to convince people that, hey, you know, this is, these are all the inputs, this is the output, the output says X based on these inputs, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, and, and, and I agreed. You, and, and for me, uh, as we, we touched upon, that's part of the visualization to be able to visualize both the input. Of course, if you have massive amount of, of data input and parameters, you, you probably have packaged it in, in a database or an Excel file or something like that. Mm -hmm. but, but some of it you have probably packaged in the visualization of the model, uh, the, the, the parameters you want to play around with during the simulation is, is often good to have in the model as such. Yeah, uh, I t my, for myself, I tend to use uh, R as my data analysis tool right? to okay. slice and dice and make all sorts of graphs and charts and all that kind of fun stuff. Right. Uh, 
and in my end, uh, given the types of problems uh, my team or, or I my, myself have confronted, we tend to do it uh, in the model, in the visualization on, on, in the model. And if we have a lot of output, we tend to send that to an Excel file. In some cases, also visualize it uh, with, with graphs and so on in the Excel. Do you, uh, especially because AnyLogic is written in Java. Do you ever run into runtime issues? Because I know Java isn't the fastest language. Do you ever run into problems where models just take way too long to run? Or do you, is that something you don't run into anymore? I've, no, I, I've run into it. But what I do then is usually I rethink the strategy of the modeling. I mean, uh, for example, I had one model, um, well, six, seven years ago, which it was about modeling the whole population of the county of Stockholm, roughly two millions or something like that. Uh, and I needed those as agent because there were potential patients. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, I, I started by trying to see, could I model it by, by capturing every individual? Uh, no, uh, that, <laughs> that, that hit, hit the roof. <laughs> then I take, took the next step. I, I kind of clustered the individuals in mm -hmm. groups of... of uh, I don't know if I started with 100 or 500. Uh, it ended up with creating clusters of 1,000 individuals. And then I ha had a looping logic that every now and then made an individual individual be born in that cluster group of individuals during the simulation. Uh, so I handled it by, by clustering several individuals or agents in one agent and I let that agent generate other agents according to the logic of the model. Um, so, so there is more or less always a way to get around this when you hit, hit the, at least according to my experience, when you hit the ceiling of, of a memory issue or something like that. Mm -hmm. So where do you, you know, sitting here, you've been in simulation on off for a long time. Where do you see the industry going forward? You know, 10 years from now, where do you think we're going to be? I hope uh, the, the application, the, the usage will be clearly spread. Uh, as I said, uh, given my experience from 1993 to 2005, uh, I'm a bit pessimistic because I didn't see the development during those years when I was not in the simulation community that I had expected. Uh, so therefore, the question is, should I expect uh, 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 the same type of non-development the, the coming years? I don't think so. I, I think the development will be faster. Uh, I don't think it will be as fast as I hope it would be. Uh, I think it's, it's heading in the right direction, but I'm a little bit afraid of the tendency, as we discussed, to focus too much on data, too much on figures, instead of focusing on the dynamics of the systems as such, which is the strong end of simulation. Right. Uh, I think going forward, at least if the last five, especially five years or so is any indication that like, it feels like every major simulation package has just made leaps and bounds over the last five years in terms of progression, what right. you can do in visualizations, because any logic has gotten a lot, a lot better, uh, especially when I first got a hold of it in 2008 to what it is now, it's almost unrecognizable as a software. I mean, it's made so many progressions, flex in the same way, Simeo is the same way. So. I think as hopefully as more and more computer packages get built, we can create more and more better softwares. I hope so. Uh, and, but one thing is the software. That, that, that is the thing that attracts the simulation community. The other thing is reaching out from the simulation community uh, to the, 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 the customer end or, or the real world mm. end of it. And so, so I have a confidence in the platform end that, that the developments will continue, but I see perhaps still challenges in convincing the real world of the potential and, and uh, usage of simulation. We and, 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 and again, I, I repeat myself, but, but I see an important thing here is for the simulation community also to stretch, be a little bit braver and, and try to convince the customer to be braver 
than to focus on what is known, so to say, what we can handle with data, to, to take it more, more a longer step into the unknown, I think we will see uh, that the potential of simulation is so much uh, larger than if we are stuck in the validation, verification and data end of it. For me, that represents one, two percent of the potential of simulation. Do you see an issue with a lot of simulation people to get stuck in just the simulation mindset of we're going to build a model instead of trying to integrate it and use it as a tool? Yes. Is it, okay. Because that's something I, I try, I've been trying to do, especially where I work, as to create models that live past just this one project. Good point. And so, you know, that's something I hope we see more of. Uh, one thing I've been working on on and off for a while now is integrating, uh, especially Simeo, because that's what I work in, uh, primarily in with like Microsoft Dynamics or SAP, be able to pull the direct data and, you know, scheduling and those kind of things. That's, uh, that's where I see uh, a very big uh, inroad for simulation is the dynamic scheduling. I agree. Uh, and I think... I think in some cases that can be captured with one model that's designed flexible enough to, to live a longer period of time. But perhaps even more common would be depending on which phase the business or issue is in. Are we in the planning or projecting phase? Are we in the implementation phase? Or mm -hmm. are we in the more operative phase of the business? I would say that in a lot of cases, it makes sense to instead having one, two, or three models uh, uh, in, a, in a way tailor-made to, to address the, the specific issues right. each mm -hmm. business face. Right. Uh, and, and really, uh, since I represent some kind of a combination of management competence uh, and, and having had various management position and simulation competence, I think what uh, if we, we made a long row, if that was possible, of all ever performed simulation projects in the world, I would, a fair guess would be that more than 50% failed more or less. Oh, uh, absolutely. Yes, and, uh, and I think one of the major challenges is that there is a big gap between the real world and the simulation worlds. That, and that implies if you just have a background from the simulation community without so much knowledge uh, from the management way of thinking, there is a tendency to create very good models from a technical point of view, but they are not tilted in the way that makes sense from the management point of view. Uh, so therefore, one of the major uh, uh, key changers in this, I think, is to, in many projects, have someone involved that has the possibility to have one foot in both the real world and the simulation world. And, and I guess that's partly the type of competence I represent. Uh, so, and that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's something, you know, I feel I bring to the table as well, especially with education and just all the consulting I've done. Um, as, exactly. we're, as we start to wrap up here, what are some, you know, especially for the younger people who are maybe listening to this podcast, getting into simulation, what are some tips or resources you would suggest them read or ways to think about projects that might help them, you know, they may not help them now, but down the road, they can look back and go, oh, I remember hearing about this. And so they try it or something. You know, what, what, what advice could you give for the, the younger simulation people coming into the... Ah, wow. Uh, important questions and a big one. Uh, for number one, I would say simulation and simulation model is extremely fun. Uh, it's, it's creative. It's about, as, as we have touched upon before, it's about painting a picture. Uh, we can compare with the gaming community. Uh, and I usually do when I try to explain simulation. I, I say, think of the Minecraft, think of Sims, think of SimCity. What we do with the dynamic modeling in simulation is to use the competence of creating a virtual world, but we do it more for a professional purpose. Uh, we perhaps don't spend as 
much time and effort on creating the maximum good-looking animation, but we create the logic of, of uh, the real uh, world in this virtual reality, so to say. Uh, so it's fun. That, that, that's uh, one thing I would say. A second thing I would say is that uh, being schooled uh, with the help of creating dynamic models is possibly the best school uh, uh, the best school available when it comes to understanding processes, understanding uh, understanding systems, understanding management to, to a big sense. Because you start thinking in terms of cause and effect, you start thinking in terms of, of what if, and if you have a background and, and if you have worked with simulation, and then you stop working with simulation and you start working with production or management, you will see that you have learned so much from the way you were taught to think by building simulation models. So I would say, if I would create the management school, I think one of the most important components would be to have educations where the students are forced to dynamically model because you learn so much uh, in way of understanding processes, in ways of, of understanding a system, a business, uh, an organization. Um, that was two bullet points, I guess. Uh, what should well, I more add? <laughs> well, uh, if you want to add anything else, uh, you can. If not, uh, we'll go ahead and uh, wrap this up. It's been a wonderful talking to you. Very enlightening. I love talking to people from not the U.S. to get the... Uh, sort of get the whole picture because you know the more you can understand about simulation and how other cultures view it is so much better i agree uh, no I, I think i i can add the final thing it, it's not about uh, head, uh, it's not really about convincing youngsters uh, more about the, the logic of of simulation uh, and really touching upon what we have already discussed i usually in every presentation I, I do when I talk about simulation, I use one picture based on an academic model. And it's an academic model by a professor from the UK, the University of Hull. He, his, I think he's called, he is called Michael C. Jackson. Uh, and he has written quite a lot of books about system thinking. Uh, he has a model that uh, where, where he says that we have to think about systems in different ways. Uh, we have to separate simple systems from more complex systems. That, that's one separator, one dimension. But he also says that some of the systems that we have to tackle have a more unitary way of thinking. And what he means with that is that the stakeholders, the participants in the systems, have more or less the same view when it comes to uh, means, uh, the, the means to reach uh, an objective and the objective that we want to reach. So that they, they think more or less the same. We want, to do the, we want to reach the same goals and we want to apply more or less the same thinking to reach those goals. Mm -hmm. And then he has another uh, situation and he called that the more pluralist way of thinking. And he says that, okay, the participants, they agree that we want to reach the same goals, but they have different opinions when it comes to how to reach those goals. And then he has a third column in this model, and he says that uh, he called this the coercive uh, category. And he says that we have also different objectives in the system. We, we are in competition or, or in some way we have different goal pictures and thereby also different opinions when it comes how to reach these different goals. And by combining these two, simple, complex, and unitary, pluralist, and coercive, we get six boxes. And what he claims is that hard system thinking, using mathematics, using optimization, using data-based thinking, is a pretty good way of handling the challenges in the box that he calls simple unitary. Uh, because these methods are prescriptive. They say that there is an answer and this method has a recommendation. When, when you optimize something, you, you say that, uh, alternative B is the best one, or the answer is 17 or something like that. Right. But, but all the other five boxes that are more complex or more uh, based on uh, perspectives 
that are in conflict with our if we try to use data thinking, if we try to use mathematical thinking, we have a hard time handling these boxes, he claims. Uh, what I claim added to this is that simulation does. Simulation can handle all these boxes because simulation is about describing a, sim a simulation model does not have an opinion. The only thing a simulation model does is it helps us understand that given this system, given these and these and these prerequisites and, and parameters and inputs, our best expectation is that we get this and this and this. Uh, so what we simulate can be unacceptable, it can be impossible, it can be partly good, partly bad. So we use the simulation model to get wiser ourselves. And if we don't like it, then we try another scenario and see if that turns out to, to lead to better conclusion. So simulation is descriptive and thereby simulation can handle all the boxes of possible. Uh, and it's really connected to that, I claim, that if we just focus on, on the issues that are uh, possible to verify, to validate, we are just looking at one of the boxes. The world consists of at least six boxes and simulation can address them all if we dare to, to start using it also in situation when validation, verification is not an option. Well said, well said, I like that a lot. And hopefully we get to start doing that a whole lot more in the future as simulation modelers. Uh, Stefan, thanks for coming on the show. Um, thanks for having me. Yes, uh, so, all the listeners, uh, appreciate you coming out. Uh, you can, again, check out the podcast at brokenjars.xyz forward slash simtalk. Um, check out our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash brokenjars. Um, thank you for coming out, and I'll see you next time.